Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create arts for the health of it. No talent or experience necessary. I'm just a little songbird. Try to fly my way homeward with the melody and I make the beat. Don't know where it'll take me, take me. Cause when I'm in the dark of night, I sing my way back to the light. Come along with me and your heart will see that a song changes everything. Oh, oh. Hi, everyone. I'm Richard Wilmore, host of Arts for the Health of It. Um, Stanzi's out sick today, so we're fi- flying solo, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> Hi, Kate. Hi, Richard. How are you today? I am great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. good. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today and talking about your new book, Everything is Perfect. Well, thanks so much for asking me. I'm thrilled to be here. Of course. I'm going to throw up a graphic graphic of the uh the book everything is perfect which of course nothing is perfect nothing nothing uh, about it was perfect nothing is <laughs> no so I, can we start with uh you telling everybody what the book is about sure um honestly the the theme of the book um and if i had it to do again and could give it a subtitle, it would be 10 years that taught me to trust my intuition. Mm. Um, (laughs) uh, Basically um, everything is perfect traces 10 years that um, were full of calamity for me that um, had I listened to that small, you know, almost silent voice, um, I may have been able to avoid. But hey, I had lots to learn. And in the end, that's what I pledged to do when I found myself in the midst of um, some pretty wild um, circumstances. Yeah, and you wouldn't have this book if you would have listened to it. You probably have some other, another, another version of that book. I hadn't thought of that, but that is true. That is true. What um, made you, because this is your first book, correct? Yes. Yes. What made you decide I needed to write this down or were you a journaler before this or what made you decide like this needs to be written down? You know, Richard, I've always been a storyteller. Uh, I'm great at a dinner party and I do have a fair, um, a fairly wacky, uh, I've often thought my life was sort of like a magical mystery tour, mm-hmm. although some of it was nightmarish. There are, I, I just encounter all kinds of wild uh, things in the course of my days. So this story um, honestly compelled me to write it. Um, and for many years after I divorced um, my second mistake, Um, as I like to uh, call him, Um, you know, I was a single mom with two little kids and a business um, to run. So I didn't have the time nor the bandwidth um, 
to write. And it wasn't until my kids were pretty much grown. I think my oldest was in college and um, my youngest was in high school that I really started to write. And honestly, I would wake up with whole like sentences, the opening sentence to a chapter court sort of downloading into my brain and I would get up and, and, you know, write it out. Um, so in terms of journaling, I certainly had journaled during um, most of the events that uh, really were the catalyst for um, my book, but I, I was by no means um, a writer per se. I certainly could write a, a kick-ass art history essay because I majored in art history and you have to write those kinds of things. But learning creative nonfiction and how to uh, write a book was a completely new and unknown undertaking for me. Was that scary at all when you first were, was there ever a time when you were like, I don't want to do that? Or did it, was it one of those, like, I need to do this and I need to figure out how to do this? Um, it was mostly that. And then as I started to do it, um, I would at times be kind of plagued with fear. Um, you know, my, my story is one that um, took place behind the scenes of a much larger um, kind of national story, at least part of my, part of my book. And so I was pretty terrified of what the reaction would be. And what I quickly learned is if I allow myself those fears, it completely stops the creative process. Mm -hmm. So I would sort of take note of it and, um, I'm nothing if not stubborn and uh, perhaps a little um, wildly determined. So I would just, you know, I'd give myself the time to feel the fear and then I'd eventually, you know, find my way back to it because it wouldn't, it wouldn't leave me alone. The story would not leave me alone. And how long did it take for you to write the book? I think uh, I hear a lot from authors that they're surprised at how long it actually takes to get it like the final draft. And what people don't know is like never, I don't think ever has an author written a book. And then that version was released. No, never. And you know, the, the, I think ignorance is bliss in that respect. Because uh -huh. If you, if I think if you knew how long it took and what it took to actually bring a book to market, I don't know. I don't know if I would have, although, like I said, I'm stubborn and I tend to do things. But for me, I would say the actual, when I really started taking classes, which is what I had to do, I took uh, creative classes in creative um, nonfiction, um, narrative nonfiction. I think it probably took me a good five years um, of writing chapter by chapter. And I am in no means a chronological writer. I have to write where my energy is. So it was, you know, a lot of um, pieces that in the end, I was able to um, string together in an, in an arc. But I would say it took a good five years to write it. You know, then there were revisions, then you have to find an agent, then the agent has to shop it. And honestly, it's a, a situation where you have no control over the outcome. Um, 
And that part of it for me was a little challenging, but, um, and then COVID happened and the election happened, you know, so there were all kinds of um, things on the path that uh, kept pushing it further into the future. But I always like to say when you're writing a book and to your listeners, if anyone decides to undertake writing a memoir or just writing essays or for themselves, um, you know, I always say, don't push it. It's kind of like, first you have to live, live it. You know, you have to live the circumstances. Then it takes, at least for me, years to process. And then I felt like, okay, I want to write it. But that process, you know, from the time the the inciting incident, let's put it that way, happened to the book actually coming out was probably about 20 years, the last 10 of it, working to write it and get it, um, get it out. So um, it's a long process. After all that time, and all that energy spent, what does it feel like to have it like it's complete now? There's not you can't yeah. go back, you can't revise it, you can't it's it's 20 years, you know, of your life is now out there and it's like what a giant chapter to close. No yeah. Intended. And I will say that has been the grace gift is closing that chapter. And um I'd love to speak to that, but it is a um it is kind of a wild experience to have the organizing um, principle of your life for, you know, a decade cease to exist. Um, it's, it's, you know, uh, I know a lot of writers who speak about post publication blues and I've, I've had a bit of that for, sh- for sure. Um it's, it's kind of a wild experience. I am thrilled that the story is behind me. And um, one of the most ex- amazing experiences I had in writing the book is that when I was writing it, scene by scene, I was writing it in present tense. I found that present tense was the only way that I could really access the memories and the feelings that I had about those memories. And so... I was reliving it. And I got to say, there were days that it was not, not fun. Um, At the end of all of that, when I had a draft, I was given advice more than once or um, editors said, you know, you have to put this in past tense. And I had resisted it. But when I finally sat down and was able to transform every verb and make the shift from present to past, Richard, it was like getting out of jail. It was like the story released me bit by bit. And it was, that is one of the most, I still get goosebumps every time I think about it because it was such an unexpected um, gift of, uh, of writing that um, particular narrative. Um, amazing. Um, I bet how it just changed almost not changed the entire story, but just changed the entire feel of the story. Probably it, it did. Um, and it also made 
it easier, um, you know, part of writing memoir is that you write the scenes, but then you, you also need to reflect on those scenes from where you are now, you know? And so it freed my ability to, um, to really reflect in a way that I couldn't when I was, you know, living it. So it was pretty amazing. You were talking about learning, like writing this book helped you keep the past in the past instead of like dwelling on that. Right. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? And then also the um, fun, creative way you sort of dealt with it that we were talking about before we started. Oh yeah. Well, when I was actually living it, I, um, I had very creative ways of dealing with the, um, the, the heartbreak, the rage, the anger, um, that, um, my ex-husband's adultery (laughs) and basically the destruction of the life we had been building, um, uh, was affecting me. And one of those ways was breaking a lot of dishes. I broke a lot of dishes. Um, uh, I developed a few different rituals, but the dish breaking, whenever I felt just deep sorrow or anger or something new would happen that was just unbelievable, and, um, you know, shattering, I would take another dish or two. And um, I had a little vegetable garden and I would hurl them at the side of our garage. Um, And um, as I mentioned earlier, um, my kids got in on this. They loved it. And when we'd run out of dishes, we would, I would drive them to the Goodwill And we would go to the housewares section and collect our own stacks. And we kept them out in the yard next to the little fence that, you know, the picket fence that divided the backyard from the garden. And, you know, we would take turns. Um, And I have to say, and I said this in my book, something in that shattering was so satisfying. And in the end, it was like, it mirrored my inner um, landscape, that that feeling of being shattered, but something in that healed me bit by bit. It was like, uh, you know, I had a friend who said, well, you now you need to make a mosaic. But honestly, I didn't ever need to do that because by the time I'd worked through um, all of my feelings and, you know, got myself out of the marriage. Um, I felt like I'd done the work and, um, uh, you know, the dishes served me well. <laughs> I have a question about the dishes when you're going to yes. buy new dishes. Uh-huh. Cause I imagine like there's something about maybe taking a really beautiful piece cause it's artwork. Some plates are beautiful and smashing that has to be therapeutic, like smashing yes. that, you know, like we've built this beautiful life and now it's completely devastated. When you're at Goodwill buying new plates, are you looking for a specific, like, is it just any plate you're grabbing or are you looking for those beautiful pieces that you're drawn to? Well, 
That's a good question. I would let the kids select their own and they would definitely sort and pick the ones that they um, wanted. And I did the same. Um, a funny story is when I, back in August, when my book finally launched, there was a brief moment where it was kind of safe or it felt safe to join. And I actually had a party and I had to choose a piece to read, um, a chapter to read from my book. And I decided to choose uh, to read the chapter where I, I tell about my kids and I going to the Goodwill. And I will crit. <laughs> I will tell you, Richard, that what I ended up doing was going back to the same Goodwill ahead of the party and choosing just the right dishes and I used them as centerpieces on the table, stacks of dishes. And I told my guests at the end of the reading that I wanted them all to take a few dishes home with them and to use them if they ever felt the need to uh, smash. And those little plates have little roses all over them because roses were an important part of my story as well. But um, it was amazing. It was really cute because I sent a text to my youngest when I was at the Goodwill and this is 20 some odd years. And I just took a picture of the houseware sign and the shelves that haven't changed with the stacks of dishes. And, and she said, Oh my God, mom, are you breaking dishes? You know, <laughs> But it was just, um, it was it was a wonderful um, thing to revisit after all these years. You were saying before that you're a really good uh, dinner party guest. I, where do you live? Because I want to come to one of your parties. They oh, sound please! Like a lot of fun. Please do, Richard. Anytime. We're in Portland. Where are you? Uh, San Antonio. Oh, okay. Well, I get to Austin every once in a while, but oh. um, yeah, Portland, Oregon here. Okay. Um, well, now I can plan a trip. Yep. Do Oregon's it. Oregon's on my list. Do it. <laughs> who would you, <laughs> don't uh, tempt me. Uh, who, who would you say the book is for? Mm. You know, I think this book is for just about anyone who's been betrayed and really heartbroken and certainly anyone who's been gaslit as a result of a partner's um, adultery. Um, the gaslighting aspect of um, uh, adultery um, is really, um, oh, it's really damaging. And um, to, your, to your sense of, um, you know, well-being, um, it makes you doubt yourself. And um, so that's a huge part of it. And anyone who's ever um, not listened to their intuition and found out later on that, uh, wow, I knew, you know, there's a line I have in my book when I finally figure everything out and I know that my ex was cheating on me. That is, you know, what we know and when we know it and how shocked to find out that he was the person I suspected 
he was, but I tried so hard not to believe it. And, um, you know, often we don't trust our intuition because who wants the things that our intuition warns us about to be true, honestly, you know? So there's a huge component there that I think is um, sort of the arc of my journey through this book that um, I think would be helpful. And I've heard from plenty of my listeners that it has, has really been helpful. So that's very rewarding. Whether you consider yourself a musician or not, music is all around us and it affects our everyday lives. Whether it's background music influencing our shopping habits in a store, organ music adding the vibe to a baseball game, or a playlist convincing us to keep going on that last mile of a run. I'm Mindy Peterson, host of the podcast Enhanced Life with Music, where we take a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives through the lens of science and health, sports and entertainment, business and education. You can find me and Enhanced Life with Music at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast or wherever you get your audio. Unleash the power of music. Make your day richer with The Richard Wilmore Show. Meet amazing musicians, talented actors, brilliant authors, hilarious comedians, and the most creative people in entertainment. Download the KP Media TV app to watch on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire. Medical professionals are burning out at an alarming rate. Burnout can cause health workers to feel hopeless, trapped, helpless, worthless, depressed, sleepless, and tired. By joining the Hearts Need Art Gratitude Grams program, Medical staff receive a personalized email and video from a musician, an artist, or writer once a week that includes a message of thanks, an encouraging song, uplifting poem, or a simple art activity. After watching their gratitude gram, participants report feeling more hopeful, empowered, energized, and appreciated. If you are or know a healthcare worker that would like to receive free gratitude grams, please visit heartsneedart.org. Yeah, I wanted to ask that what you're hearing from people who have listened to the book, because on some level, not maybe the magnitude of your story, but there are a lot of people who have gone through the same thing that probably feel alone and like they're the only ones that it's happening to. So what are you hearing from people? Well, first, let me say that I think that is the value that in sharing these stories that are painful and difficult um, because most of these experiences in a human life are universal. And yes, um, what I have heard um, is just how grateful people have been. The one, I think the very first email I got, which I still cry every time I think about it, a woman wrote to me and said, you know, Kate, I had no idea what your book was about. I was driving. I had a seven hour drive to, I don't know whether it was North or South Carolina. And I plugged your book in and she said, I've been going through such a difficult time in my life. And she said, by the time I got to my destination, I knew I could do it. So those things just, I mean, make me weep. And yeah. also um, have been such 
unexpected gifts. Um, you know, when you're com com felt, feel compelled to tell a story, um, you're not really thinking about, you know, you're just thinking about getting it out. So it goes back to how does it feel once it's finally out there? And I have to say that hearing from listeners and um, uh, hearing that the book and the themes of the book have have affected them. And also hearing from so many people that they felt by the end of the book, they knew me and I was a friend. And that, that Aww. is really, um, that's an incredible gift. Um, so it's been great. Really yeah. The has. way you can connect to people is always, mm. you know, the way you find to connect with people. It's always fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. When did um, collaging become part of your creative practice? You know, um, during the course of writing the book, um, I would get to a place that was either particularly hard scene to write or a scene that I didn't know how to enter into and maybe wasn't really wanting to. I mean, there were some pretty hard things to write in this book. Um, and uh, years ago, a friend had taught me um, a method of collage that's sort of like a spiritual practice. So one day, just feeling like, oh, I just, I can't, the words just weren't coming. I shut the computer and I pulled um, a stack of magazines. I always have plenty of magazines around. Um, I'm a bit of an addict. And um, I thought, you know, I'm just going to collage this. And um, so basically the method, and I'd love for people to try it, but I would just sit with the magazines, leaf through any picture that for some reason, and you don't know why at the time is resonating with you. It could be one tiny element of an entire page, but you just rip those out, maybe five, six images max, sometimes three will do it. And, um, and then you... Um, sit with those images, you cut out the parts that are um, speaking to you and you arrange them. And um, inevitably what would happen, Richard, that was so phenomenal was I would get that done and all of a sudden it was like this magical download, you know, the whole scene would just open up. Um, I have a few here. Do you want me to show you? Yeah, and you send some along. I can put them. Are they the oh, ones that, that you sent? Yeah, that I think I sent you the ones. I forgot. Yeah. yeah, let me throw some up here. Okay. Yeah, this this one um, I call the wake-up call. I use a lot of Rumi poetry. Rumi was kind of my guide through all of the, the actual incidents that were... Um, uh, plaguing me back then. And this one I call the wake up call. And there's a roomy poem that says the breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you don't go back to sleep. And this one, um, I use a lot of, um, I'm kind of into numerology, I will confess. So the clock, um, you add up all these numbers, it's a six, a three plus a one plus a two. Um, is a six and six is for me um, or the numerology that I've studied is about density and danger and you need to pay attention. So um, yeah, that's what that one's about. Um, 
This one was in the aftermath of the discovery of um, my, well, the confirmation um, of my husband's affairs, plural, um, where I felt like gravity had abandoned me and I was spinning, um, you know, circling the sun and unable to get my feet under me. So um, that one is what that one was about. This one is sort of, again, that whole, and it's interesting, you know, I hadn't really, but all three of these have pictures of stars and, and hurtling through space. This is really kind of me um, in the wake of um, this devastation. It's kind of, um, the house has been um, smashed to bits and I'm kind of <laughs> just trying to figure out how I'm going to pick myself up and keep going. I uh, thank you for sharing those. Sure. Um, I think I love doing collages uh, mm. because one, we do it a lot with patients in the hospital because it's so easy and it's oh, so, like any. It's so easy to pick up magazines and get magazines yeah. and you, yeah. you know, you can use any type of, it doesn't matter what it's on. Um, but there's something like you said, you don't even almost know what you're making until it's over. Yeah. And the, the method that my um, friend had taught me, you actually give the collage a title and you can even ask it questions, which I actually use that in my writing. Um you know, I'd make a little uh, four by six card or whatever, and I just scribble some notes and then the writing would just fly. And um, even if you're not writing, um, I think collage for anyone can be an amazing gift. And if you spend some time sort of meditating on what you've created, and I usually do before I start to pull the the um, images, you know, I, I, you know, ask to be guided or, you know, whatever. And then again, when I, when I'm going through the process of collaging them and then looking at what I've created, there's always a message there. And it is a mysterious sort of thing that happens. Um, so I highly recommend it. Yeah. Highly. What I started doing, which, um, was doing collages with like the Christmas wrapping paper after Christmas when everybody oh, like, and then yeah. taking pieces of all the different types, putting them in a frame. And then I hang them every year as like a little memory of what happened last year. How cool. Because it's always like, you know, Christmas wrapping paper is so pretty and yeah. spend so much that's... money on it and then rip it apart and then throw yeah. it away. And that's a like, fabulous idea. Yeah. I love that. So that's, that's yeah. another easy way to do it. And it's just like figuring out shapes. Like it's, it's a very interesting yeah. way to create art. Well, and I think all of our brains are constantly puzzling and it is very much like a puzzle and putting a puzzle together um, and figuring out just how the shapes relate to each other. So I think that's, I love that idea. 
Christmas. Mm-hmm. I might try that this year. You should, and then you should send me a photo of what you make. Please. Okay, I will. I will. Okay, good. What have you, since the book has been released, or even like the journey of writing the book and going back, what have you learned maybe about yourself, about life? We talked about intuition, but how has writing this book and getting into collaging changed you? Hmm. Well, I think more than ever, I learned about myself that I'm pretty tenacious. (laughs) And having that uh, knowledge is, is helping me as I move towards writing my second, um, my second book. Um, And knowing that at times when I was learning, I thought, oh, my God, I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to understand how to write a scene or what this even means. And there's a gift in in working so hard at it that there's a new level of just knowing that, you know, that'll when there's a will, there's a way there's kind you find your way, um, even through the most difficult, um, circumstances. And I think in addition to that, just being able to look at my story now as past, um, I have a, a new compassion for myself. And I think many of us, need to learn to have compassion for ourselves. You know, um, there's just a knowledge um, of, wow, that was really difficult. And I'm, I'm assuming many of uh, the people you work with at the hospital are going through grave illnesses or, you know, chronic conditions. And there is a certain resilience that we are able to kind of find when we're in the most difficult um, Mm -hmm. of circumstances. Yeah, we give out um, journals to everybody in the Mm -hmm. hospital. And we hear a lot from the nurses. They don't like to really write while we're there. But we hear Mm -hmm. from the nurses that it's late at night when it's quiet and no one's around. They'll go in rooms and people are writing. And whether you're doing it for yourself just to document what's going on or, or like Kate did, where it's going out to the public, I think writing is so important. It's that release, you know, it's, it's once it's out there, then it's, it's out there. It's, it's an incredible release. And I would love um, for your journalers to, you know, try, try writing. I mean, I, I'm just fascinated to find out if it would uh, be helpful. It certainly was to me to write, you know, if you've got some situation, memory, some hurtful circumstance that you you're you haven't been able to let go of, or it's just kind of constantly there to write it, but write it in present tense, like it's happening right now, with all the detail you can put in it, and all the anger and rage or whatever it is, the sorrow that you're feeling, and sit with it you know, forever, for however long it feels like you need to sit with it. And then try either later that day, or the next day, or the following week, to sit back down with those same pages, and rewrite it in past tense, and just see if it helps. um, 
if it helps you, you know, helps us move um, from what we hold on to, um, whether it be hurts or heartbreak or, um, you know, fear. It, I'm, I'm just, you know, it was so transformative for me. And I think it would be a really great exercise if it helped, you know, other people as well. I love that idea. You don't have to sit down and write your entire story, but no, no, no. But yeah, yeah. like the idea of just writing down some something that ha- that happened, or you know, even yeah, some incident yeah. that you that plagues you, or that you keep thinking about, and you don't know why, or you know, um, I, I, yeah. If you ever try that with with your um, with your the people you see in the hospital, Richard, let me know if, if it was a helpful process, and I'd be really curious. That would also be a great like workshop. Yeah. Right, now, it, now, now I'm just like business planning here with you yeah, on the right. podcast. That's but, okay. but what a great idea! I love that. How can people best um, connect with you, Kate? Um, probably best through my website. Um, uh, because all the links, the links to my Audible book are there, but also all the press about my book. You can also send me, um, you know, an email um, if you have any questions. Um, so that's probably the best way. I'm also on um, uh, Instagram uh, and it's at state Kate. S-T-A-T-E-O-K-A-T-E on Instagram. And I post a lot. I'm a, I'm a addicted photographer. So (laughs) another great art form. Yes. And boy, do I love that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think a day goes by without me taking a hundred pictures. I'm one of those people that has to pay for the cloud, like a big (laughs) cloud. Um, But um yeah, and often I post my um, my collages on there, um, but mainly my photographs, and usually I have some words to go with it, and I'd love to share that with with everyone as well. And of course, the link to that is also on my um, my web my website. Beautiful. The book, of course, is called Everything Is Perfect. It's a memoir available on Audible. Kate, thank you so much for jumping on. Richard, thank you. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, uh, I I I enjoyed myself. (laughs) Good. Good. That's why we're here. I'm I'm happy to hear that. And uh, come back when the next book comes out. Okay. It may be 10 years, but yeah. Hopefully I'll still be here. All right. Okay. You take care. Thank you. Wherever you're watching this or listening, make sure you subscribe and keep creating everyone. We will see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers, in partnership with the National Organization for Arts and Health. You can help others learn about the healing power of the arts by subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen or watch. The podcast is hosted by Richard Wilmore, co-hosted by Constanza Rader. Our theme song, Songbird, is written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartseedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create arts for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Heartseed Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. 
All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast.